All right, we doing well? Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's Sunday. You know, it's usually the day where I preach and preach several sermons and meet people and pray for people. But you may not know this. It's also the day I write some thank you notes to people. And I'm running a little bit behind. It's been behind every service. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to write a couple thank you notes. Is that cool? Get caught up and write some thank you notes. All right. All right. We're going to write some thank you notes. Seth, can I have some uh, thank you note writing music, please, sir? It's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I, I like that. I like that. Looking nice and sharp and dressed up there too, man. Did your mom do your hair today? Okay, good. Yeah, it looks like it. All right. Thank you, moms, for teaching us how to be smart, how to be strong, and how long a voicemail can be. You know, mom's gonna leave some long voicemails, man. Thank you, Mother's Day, for being that one time every year when I'm suddenly reminded how much extra it costs to have a gift shipped overnight. <laughs> I'll tell you too, if you want to know about Mother's Day, just go to Kroger on a Saturday night. You'll see a bunch of dudes there buying, buying roses. I know because I was there last night. Thank you, moms, for being the second least embarrassing parent on Facebook. <laughs> Thank God my mom was never on Facebook. She's got a lot of photos that I just can't, can't have getting out. You know what I'm saying? Last one. Thank you, Mother's Day, for being a great way to tell mom you gave birth to me. You raised me. Everything I am is because of you. Now let me buy you some tulips and a quick brunch, and we'll call it even. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, mothers. Thank you, moms. Thank you, moms. Uh, literally, and uh, we would not be here without you. Uh, that is true. Everybody's got a mom, whether they like them or not. But we know Mother's Day, obviously, it's a fun day. It's a celebrating day, but we also know it's a tough day. And so that was one of the reasons why we wanted to come together, laugh a little bit about moms, um, about what Mother's Day means. But I know it's a tough day as well. And, and a lot of you who have been around here for a while know that I lost my mom uh, several years ago now. And uh, this is, Lindsay was asking me this, this week about thinking about Mother's Day. And I said, you know, it's just, the hardest part about it, and a lot of you know this too, is there's, she's the one person sometimes that I wish I could call um, because I know she's the one person that no matter what I did wrong or whoever else doesn't like me, she likes me. Um, and so moms, thank you for that, uh, that love that you have. And so I know there's a lot of you here, maybe like me, you've lost your mom or, or maybe you are a mom and um, you have lost as well an un speakable tragedy. Um, maybe you're just estranged uh, from your kids as a mom, or maybe you're a child who's estranged from your mom, or you don't have a mom that you have a good relationship with. I know there's a lot of emotions in this day, and so we want to recognize that as well. And like I said, we wanted to laugh a little bit, but also pray and ask God to not only say thank you to God for moms, but ask God to bless you um, and not just moms, but women in general, you're such a gift um, to humanity. And, you know, it's amazing to me that even after Eve sinned, God named her Eve and called her the mother of all the living. Um, and so there's a unique place in the story of God that women occupy as you image him. Uh, and then an even more unique place, moms, that you occupy um, that images God and the love of God. And so we're going to thank God for moms and then pray for you as well. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the fact that um, motherhood was, was your idea. Um, you didn't have to do it the way that you did it. Um, but moms and women are such a gift um, from you. You have made them 
complex and beautiful and they are such a gift to humanity and we want to celebrate that. And God, I pray that for those moms that have lost or those who have lost moms, um, we know again, today is an emotional day and um, we just pray that you would bless them. God, thank you for who they are and for what they've done and what they continue to do. Um, through it all, how a mother's love just is the calming force uh, in so much of our lives. And we recognize that that gift comes from you through them to us. And so thank you for that. And we pray that you'd bless them. And God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would encourage us all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be, verses 1 through 11. Um, and if you're new today, this isn't necessarily a Mother's Day message, if you will, because we're preaching through the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. And we've just been in this now, I think, 13 weeks. And we're just digging in and, and seeing what this letter has for us because it's argued as the greatest letter ever written. It is for sure Paul's greatest letter that he ever wrote. And it tells us the most about the gospel. It tells us about our faith. It's, it's his greatest work. And I would argue the greatest place in the Bible if you want to understand Christianity or what does it mean to be a Christian. But even though we're preaching through this, I do think that this specific text, uh, and I chose this months and months ago for this day, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit, has some specific things to say to moms and has some specific things to say about what it means. And this, this emotion, a lot of times that as guys, we don't understand, but moms, you image the heart of God in such unique ways. And I think this verse speaks to some of that. And so let's jump in Romans chapter five. We're going to start in verse one and we'll work our way down to verse 11. But verse one and two says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, I tell you this often, if you've been around here, then you'll know this, but if you're new, the word therefore, anytime you read it in the Bible, you should always ask yourself a question. What is the word therefore? What's it therefore? You guys are smart, you listen, all right? Whenever you see the word therefore, it's going back to an argument that he was just making, and now he's connecting what he's about to say next to that. And so whenever a, a word or a chapter or a sentence starts with the word therefore, then you have to say, okay, what is it therefore? And you go back and look at it. And I've also told you that the chapter and verse divisions in our Bible were not there originally. This was a letter. There were, Paul didn't put chapters and verses in there because uh, he wrote it as a letter. And if he did, he, I don't think he would have put a chapter starting with the word therefore. Because we just think, oh, chapter five, it's on to a new thought. No, he's talking about what he just talked about in chapter four. And for whatever reason, people who put those there, you know, hundreds of years later thought that that was a good idea, but it can be confusing to us. And so when he starts this new chapter, chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore, you have to understand what he's been talking about and the previous points up to this. And what he has been saying is how we are justified or made right with God through faith. And he says that here. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that word justified, I've told you the last several weeks, means made right. It's just if I'd never sinned. And so we're made right with God. Now he's going to talk about the benefits of that. And so he's saying, since that is true, then these things are also true. Now, and I say this often as well, I love math. I don't like writing because math's objective. Uh, writing is subjective. It gets feelings involved. Math has no feelings. I like that, right? And so anytime I would have to write something, which is one of the reasons why I love seminary and I love studying theology, I just did not like writing papers. I thought about going and getting my doctorate, but you got to write like an 800-page paper, so I ain't done that yet, all right? But one thing I did understand is I understood if-then statements. And I think my middle school teacher for this, and so all of you middle school teachers, teachers out there, keep going. One day, it'll make sense to them, all right? And so I understood if-then statements because if this is true, then this is true. And so when Paul says, therefore, I get that. He's saying, since all these other things are true, these things are true too. And he wants us to know the benefits that we have since we've been justified by faith. So the first one he says is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. 
Now, that doesn't make sense to us unless you understand the fact that we were not at peace with God. We were at war with God. He's contrasting the idea of when you are at war with somebody, and he'll say this again later, he'll expound upon it, you're enemies. And so we were enemies of God. We were at war with God. You say, well, I didn't know we were at war with God. Well, yeah, because you don't want God telling you what to do. And so when you are at war with somebody, you don't want them to tell you what to do, so you go and do your own thing. That's how sin got into the world. And so we were not at peace with God, but now through Christ and our faith in Christ, we have peace with God. So notice he doesn't say the peace of God. That's something internal. He says, he says peace with God. And what that is, that's a relational term. Now, again, this is how I think this applies to moms. If there is one thing I know about moms, again, I've you know, lived with mom my whole life or, you know, Live with a mom, I should say, my entire life. And so my mom growing up with three kids and now my wife as a mom with two kids, there's one thing I know about moms is they want peace. Moms, am I right? You want peace, right? Yeah. You also want peace and quiet, right? And, and maybe even a glass of wine in there, but you want peace. And the idea of peace is not just a feeling in the sense of like, I need peace within myself. You want people to have relationships. You want people to be right with each other. You want relationships to be right. And when relationships are not right in a home, it's very upsetting because there's no peace. And I'll never forget growing up, again, I'm the youngest of three and I have an older brother and an older sister. They would tell you, and they're not here to back it up, and so I'll just say it like it's my own story, but they would tell you that the whole reason, one of the main reasons why there was no peace in my house growing up is because of me, right? Now, I'm the youngest of three, and so therefore, my mom knew better. My mom knew it was not my fault. It was their fault, Right? It was my older brother and my older sister's fault. If they had just gotten their life together better like I did, we would have more peace in the home. Now, we know that's not true, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I'll never forget one time, my brother and sister were arguing with each other. Again, they would say, that's my fault as well, but they were arguing with each other, and so my mom had this great idea that she was going to tie them together. I kid you not. This is my mom was creative in her. You know, my dad was gone a lot, and if my dad was there, it was beat. Like you know, we got a spanking, right? But but mom had to be creative, and so mom said, "All right, I'm gonna tie you all together." So literally, my brother and sister stood next to each other. She tied their legs together. She tied their arms together and tied their waist together, and then said, "Y'all are gonna learn to get along." Now I wasn't tied together to the two of them. So they would just sit there on the couch, you know, being tied. If they had to go to the bathroom, they went together. <laughs> if they were going to eat, they were going together. And so I would just stroll through, you know, be like, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> Want to go outside and play? You know, I was just egging it on and egging it on. It was the one time that my brother couldn't catch me. Little did I know they were going to get untied and then they could catch me. But um, my mom wanted them to get along just to not argue not fight. And I don't know what it is about brothers and sisters, but we just do that naturally. And I know now my wife with two kids just wants peace. Quit egging each other on and creating this, this conflict. And so this is the idea of what Paul is saying is we were at conflict with each other. We were at conflict with us and God. But now through Christ, who is our older brother, through the sacrifice of Christ, we now can have peace, which means we can now have racial, not racial, that's true too, but relational reconciliation. We can have reconciliation between us and God because of Christ. And so there's this sense now we're at peace with him. And the hardest part is having peace with God vertically, but not having peace with others horizontally. We'll get into more of that in just a second. But the first benefit, he says, of being justified through faith in Christ is we have peace with God. The second one, he says there, is now through faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only now through Christ do we have relational reconciliation with God, we have peace with him. But now through faith, we have access, he says, into this grace. 
And so this relational uh, restoration that has happened between us and God through faith in Christ, now the basis of it or the grounds of it on which we stand is now grace. And so what that means simply is this. Our relationship with God is not based upon what we do for him. It's based upon what he did for us in Christ. And so now by grace, through faith in Christ, our relationship with him is not something we can lose because we didn't do anything to earn it. It's by grace, through faith in Christ. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about that. In fact, I had you repeat it with me, and I'm going to have you do it this week just in case you weren't here. But even if you weren't here, I want you to remember it again, all right? So by grace, through faith in Christ, both locations, let's try this, all right? With me, by grace, through faith in Christ. All right, let's do it again. By grace, through faith in Christ. One more time for those in the back, all right? By grace, through faith in Christ. Just seeing if you can get it. All right, you got it. By grace, through faith, in Christ. So now, that's the order. Let's do it backwards. It's in Christ, through faith, by grace. So this access by faith we have in Christ now gets us into the grace of God. And grace is unmerited favor. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's the gift of God. And so this word here, into, is a preposition of direction. What it was referring to is we were outside of it. Now we're inside of it. We were outside of a relationship with God. We didn't have peace with him, but now through Christ, we do have peace with him. And what we have access to now is God's grace. So our relationship with God is based on grace. Now, here's the cool thing about this word. And again, you don't always see it in English, but it's written in what's called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense, I've told you this before, refers, and I, I love that it's called the perfect tense because perfect is the opposite of imperfect. And so when something's perfect, it's complete. And so this perfect tense literally means this. You use this to describe a past action that's producing a current reality. So a past action that's still producing something now. It's still benefiting you now. It's giving you something now. So our past action of faith in Christ is now producing grace. So now we live in a state of or a condition of grace. This is why through faith in Christ, believing in, like we talked about on Easter, believing in Christ gets you access into grace. And now you are saved by the grace of God. So therefore, everything in your life is come to you by grace which means you didn't deserve it, but God gave it to you because of Christ. So if you did nothing to earn it, you can do nothing to lose it. So this act of faith that you have in Christ is currently producing grace for you. And that is a present reality. So that means you're living in grace. And here's why this is so, so good and such good news for us. You can never out his grace. The sins you commit tomorrow, there will be grace for those through faith in Christ. So you didn't earn it today, you can't lose it tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but if there is one thing I need to know, it's that. And again, think about this from the heart of a mom. I knew, and I still know, even though my mom's gone to be with Jesus, I knew it didn't matter what I did, my mom still loved me. It didn't matter. Now, I could take advantage of that, and sometimes I did. But my relationship with my mom had nothing to do with what I did for her, because I didn't do anything for her. It's what she did to me. She gave birth to me, and so my life was dependent upon her. And so, therefore, she didn't have me for me to love her. She had me for her to love me. And that's how it works with God. You don't have to earn your way into a relationship with God. Why? Because he saved you. He acted on your behalf. He didn't create you new in Christ for you to love him. He created you new in Christ for him to love you. So now you live in a relationship with him that's based upon grace. And grace is the ever cascading goodness of God to you. 
So Paul says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So the ground in which, and I love how he says this, the ground in which you stand, you stand on something you're confident in. And because of my size and height, there's not a lot of things I stand on in confidence. But I can stand on the grace of God. What that means is this, he is big enough to hold me. He's big enough to hold me in all of my sinfulness and all of my mess because my relationship with him is not based upon me holding him up. It's based upon him holding me up. And see, there's a lot of us that think this. I'm so afraid of letting God down. Can I give you some good news today? You can't let God down because you're not holding him up. He's holding you up. He's holding you. You're not holding him up. You're not holding up the basis of your relationship with him. He's holding you up. And so you stand in grace. This is why I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness. So I can go into the relationship with God. I can approach God with boldness, not because I've done anything, but because Jesus has. And I can know now because of Christ, all I'm going to get is grace. Paul says, that's a result of your justification. Then there's a third thing that he says here. He says, and... We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what's interesting, that word there, rejoice, is the same exact word that he used in Romans 3, verse 27, to say boasting. So in verse 27 of Romans 3, he says, what becomes of our boasting, it's excluded. It doesn't mean we don't boast, but now what we boast in is our hope in God, not ourselves. So I don't boast in my actions for God. I boast in God's actions for me. I don't boast in how good I am because I'm not good. I boast in how good God is. So now we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So all those are benefits of being justified by faith in Christ. Now, those are just two verses. Let's get into verse three. There's another one. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, let's be honest. And I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but you should read the Bible like this. And so I just preach how I read the Bible. I'm rocking along, reading this. I'm like, all right, therefore we've been justified by faith. Yeah, I got peace with God. I'm good with that through Jesus. Through him, I've also obtained by faith into this grace. Yeah, I'm good with that. I got grace now. And I rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Yeah, that's awesome. Verse three, not only that, I'm expecting a big one here. Here's the grand slam. We rejoice in sufferings. Say what? Huh? I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but you should. You're expecting the not only that to set you up for the next big one, right? You mean I get peace with God? You mean I get grace? You mean I get hope and rejoice in the glory of God? Yes, yes, yes. Not only that, you get rejoicing in your sufferings. Uh, huh? That's how it's written. It's written to, to surprise you. Because the not only that is not what you thought. We rejoice in our sufferings. Not only do we rejoice in hope, but we rejoice in sufferings. Are you kidding me? Now, we got to talk about this because there's a lot of believers out there who, who if we're honest, it really kind of nauseates the world those unbelievers that we talk like this in the sense of we think what Paul is saying is we are to rejoice in those things that are bad. And so there's a lot of Christians out there that when a bad thing happens, we're like, oh, we don't grieve, we rejoice. We don't, we don't cry. We don't struggle with depression. We don't struggle with anxiety. No, we rejoice. And so there's a lot of Christians that are like, the shallow faith of they don't weep, they don't cry, they don't grieve, they don't struggle with doubt, they don't struggle with depression, they don't struggle with anxiety because we're not allowed to is what they think. Because he says rejoice in sufferings. I want you to understand something. Paul is not a sadist. He is not saying 
have this shallow faith that says we get happy when bad things happen. That is not what he says. Because his point is not I'm rejoicing in what is bad. His point is I'm rejoicing though even though it is bad, God is doing something good. Big difference. People misuse Romans 8.28 all the time. We'll get into it in like July, all right? So you gotta come back for it. But the verse of God's working all things together for good People misuse that verse all the time because they'll walk into circumstances that are not good and they'll kind of rubber stamp it. We rejoice. Can I just be honest with you? Like, as a pastor, if somebody told me that, I'd want to slap them. And, and let's be real honest. I haven't, but I have wanted to. Hello, my name is Jason. I'm a sinner. All right. And you may think that I'm arrogant. I'm just being honest. When I'm in a circumstance that's bad, I don't want somebody with a shallow faith to try to convince me that it's good. Because it's not good. It's not. And this is why I love Jesus. Jesus didn't do that. Interestingly enough, when you read, when Jesus walked into circumstances, he still identified with the people in those circumstances. One of the best ones, I think, is Lazarus. His, one of his best friends died. And when Jesus walked into the circumstance, and he'd been dead for a couple days, and everybody's crying. The shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus what? You know it. Wept. Now, why in the world would he weep when a few verses later he's about to raise Lazarus? He's weeping, not just because Lazarus has died, but he's weeping because they are weeping. He's identifying with them. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. Grieve with those who grieve. Jesus doesn't show up and be like, hey, dude, it's all right. It's all right. Watch this. No. He looks at the extent of human suffering, and he cries. Don't tell me real men don't cry. I love how Tim Keller says, you know when God's moving in a man's life again when he begins to cry again. So if you're a dude and you're crying a lot, God's working. And don't be afraid to cry because Jesus is more of a man than you, and he wept. And so what Paul's saying here is not, we don't weep when it's time to weep. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying we walk in with a shallow faith, like, let's rejoice, this is great. No. What he's saying is we can rejoice even in the midst of our sufferings because God is producing something. God is, we're not rejoicing in them, but we're rejoicing that through them, God is doing something in us. You see the difference? And so to me, it's amazing that Paul sets this here, and I think he does it on purpose, to say all these benefits of being justified by faith, we have peace with God, now we stand in grace, we rejoice in hope. Another benefit is you can rejoice even in sufferings. And why is that a benefit? Because those without Christ have no reason to rejoice in sufferings. So I tell people all the time, who struggle, and I get it. I struggle with pain and trials and suffering as well. But walking away from Jesus doesn't help you. In fact, it only makes it worse because that means these are utterly random and they mean nothing. But Paul says, look, we got reason to rejoice. Why? Knowing. See, there's something you need to know. If you don't know this, then you can't rejoice. So the knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So what I can know is that even in the suffering, God is not necessarily making bad things happen to me, but the bad things that are happening to me, God's still in control of them to do something in me through them. And that I can rejoice in. And this is why so often when we ask God to take away the trial or the circumstance, God says no, because I'd be taking away the very thing that's producing integrity in you. 
So I love you enough to let it hurt you because in hurting you, it's going to heal you. Now, any mom knows that's hard, right? But this is where we can really mess up our kids if we're not careful. We can really mess up our kids if we always take pain and suffering away from them. They will lack character and they will not have endurance. They'll give up too easy. And ultimately, you know what Paul says? They won't have hope. Now connect this. He said earlier, we rejoice in hope. Now he's saying we rejoice in sufferings. Why? Because sufferings play a key critical role in hope. So you want the hope? You go through suffering. So don't miss this. Justification, we're made right with God. We get access by faith into grace now. Grace produces hope. And that hope is that one day Christ returns, right? And he makes all things right. But in between that grace and hope is suffering. So suffering's a part of the process because that process is producing something in us. And that word producing means to make the result, make something happen. And what he wants to make happen in us is to give us a hope that suffering can't shake. But the only way to get that hope is to actually go through suffering and let the suffering shake it. But here's the promise. If you keep hoping against hope, like we talked last week, you won't be put to shame. That word there, put to shame, means to humiliate. You won't be humiliated if you keep faith in the suffering. Why? He gives you a because. And here's the why statement. Because. Look back at it. Because. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. My friends, when God saves you by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just save you and make you right with him. Through the Holy Spirit, he also sustains you. So he saves you, he sanctifies you, and one day he will glorify you. And all of that is done by the Holy Spirit. So he saves you, he makes you right with God, but he's also sanctifying you. And how does he sanctify you? He supplies the necessary elements for God's love in the midst of your suffering. So he's a supplier. He's always dealing hope out to you. He's always putting more of God's love into your heart in the worst of circumstances, and that's what sustains you. And you need that. Let me tell you a story. It's been happening over the last couple of months. Maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but there's a family in our church who nine weeks ago, mom gave birth to their first child, a daughter. And unbeknownst to her, something happened in the womb and her daughter came out fighting for her life. And they didn't know if she would survive. And for eight weeks, it has been an excruciating process of trying to figure out what is going on and what she needs. And she's been hooked up to all these machines and being kept alive by those machines. And so we've been walking with this family over the last eight weeks. And a week and a half ago, it came to grips with the fact that she wasn't going to make it. And so they made an excruciating decision as a parent to take her off of the life support. So last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, myself and Pastor David there in the hospital with them, praying with them and praying with her for God to either move miraculously or take her peacefully. And it's in those moments, again, and I told you this last week, if you, it's in those moments, if you don't have this kind of hope holding you up, you can't stand. And so they took her off of life support last Saturday, expecting for her to pass away within minutes. We were already planning to do a funeral yesterday here in Canton to celebrate her life. 
The craziest thing happened. When they took her off of life support, her color got better. She was breathing on her own. And now for a week, she's been breathing on her own, oxygenating her own blood. And needless to say, we didn't have a funeral yesterday. Now, here's where the story gets crazier. They still have a long road ahead of them, by the way, so please be praying for them. She's not out of the woods completely, but she's still here. The day before they made the decision, the nurses came together and said, we've got this Bible and we think it'd be a good idea to put her footprint in there and so pick a verse and then we'll put her footprint in there and then we'll give the Bible back to you after she's passed. And so they just flipped open the Bible quickly, picked a set of verses, bookmarked it, gave it to the nurses and got prepared to do what no parent wants to do. And then all that happened that I just told you. And they were here this morning for our first service. You want to know the verse they picked? Romans 5, 1 through 11. And then they come to church on Mother's Day, and that's the very verses I'm preaching on. And they don't know what's going to happen. But you want to know what they do know? In the midst of their suffering, God hasn't forgotten them. Because he, what are the chances? And here's what I told him. I said, you want to know what's even crazier? Back in January, when I was laying this series out, there was two things I knew. I knew the verses I wanted to preach on Easter, and I knew the verses from Mother's Day. And I bookmarked this day for these verses. I chose them four months ago. You say, okay, pastor, what does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that they still have reason to rejoice because God's love has been poured out into their hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to them. He is actively pouring out his love into their hearts. And you could say, well, if God loved them, that wouldn't have happened. Listen, I don't claim to understand why all it happens the way it does, but here's what I do know. If you walk away with, from God in those moments, you got nothing to hold you. But how in the world can the parents of a nine-week-old, beautiful, precious baby girl Stand if God's not holding them by actively pouring out his love in their life through things that we would just consider coincidental. My friends, that's no, no coincidence. God is so big that he's even involved in something is that small. And here's Paul's argument. You can rejoice even in that, because if he justified you, he'll also hold you. Because what it took for him to justify you cost him everything. Look at the next few verses. This is how he argues. Verse six, he says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, again, here's his argument, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Here, here's his argument. He's saying, listen, God didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. God didn't wait for you to get yourself strong. God didn't wait for you to make yourself righteous and holy. He died for you while you were still a sinner, while you were completely weak. And so if he died for you when you didn't deserve for him to die for you, why would he leave you alone in the midst of your suffering? 
If he did that to get you back with him, to get peace with you, with him again, if it took Christ dying, how much more so? And he argues to a greater degree. And here's why I love it. He says that phrase two more times. Look at verse 10 and 11. He says, for if while we were enemies, with, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, there it is again, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here's what he's saying. If God sent his son to reconcile you with him, how much more so will he reconcile all things? And that's the hope. You know, the hope as a pastor that I tell a young couple who's dealing with a child who may die is not rejoice in this. It's that God will one day undo this. This is not good. This is horrible. Just like Jesus dying was horrible. But he undid Jesus dying. How did he undo it? He made him alive. And he's not dead. My friends, that's our hope. This is why the Bible says we have that hope like an anchor for the soul. He will undo death. And nothing hits home to you like that until death comes to your door. I said this before, I, I get the privilege and the burden of doing a lot of these funerals. But if that's not true, I got nothing to say. But since that's true, I got everything to say. Because if he sent his son to justify us, he'll reconcile us too. He's reconciled us vertically, but he'll reconcile everything else horizontally. So moms, you want to know what your hope is in today? The grace of God that's poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit to reconcile when things seem hopeless. And because of that, we have all the reason in the world to rejoice. That's a deep faith. And you wanna know the type of faith that wins a lost world to Christ? Not a shallow one. Not a surface one that says, oh, this is good. Because their argument is the same argument that Satan had before God with Job. Well, of course, God. Of course, Job loves you. You've blessed him. Look at this. He's got all these kids. He's got all this stuff. You take that away, he'll curse you. God says, okay. He doesn't curse him. He has his, listen to this, integrity. You want to know what character is? Character is integrity. You want to know what integrity means? It means integrated. It means whole, not broken. You're the same everywhere. Job kept his integrity. Then Satan comes back to him and says, yeah, but if you strike him, if you take his health away, he'll curse you. And then Job's wife says, why do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he says, you're speaking like a foolish woman. And for 39 chapters, he wrestles with God. And his friends keep coming in and saying, what'd you do wrong? What'd you do wrong? And he's like, nothing. And thank God, God comes in and curses his friends. I'm like, y'all spoke wrongly. Because there's a lot of Christians with such shallow faith that say, this happened because you did something and God's punishing you. No. Because the sufferings aren't punitive. And what that means is Christ took my punishment so God can't punish me now. That'd be double jeopardy. No, this isn't punishment. This is producing something. 
And then Job says this in Job 41, I believe it is. He says, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. An unbelieving world who watches a man worship God when he loses 10 children is a powerful testimony, is it not? Christians, it's high time we get deeper in our faith. And how God does that is through your sufferings. I don't like them any more than you do, but let them have their intended effect to where you hope in the glory of God to overcome even those. And rejoice, because that's what the world needs. They need hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word as it applies to moms today who are wrestling. But thank you for your word that applies to all of us today because all of us suffer. All of us have to face death. All of us have to face disappointment and disease and depression, disillusionment. We wrestle so much when things don't go the way that they should go. That reminds us in our heart that the world is not the way it should be. But the solution is not found in a political party. It's found in the son of God. And peace will never come on the earth until people are at peace with you. Because the reason why we fight each other is because we're enemies of you. And if we were reconciled with you, if we have peace with you now, then we'll love our neighbor as ourself. So God, would you do that? There are some here today, God, that they don't have that peace with you. They aren't reconciled with you. And today through faith, they can gain access into this grace and be saved. So I pray that you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as always, but if you want to trust Christ for the first time and through faith receive grace and you'll be saved and made right with God and the process now with the power to be made right with God and others will be yours. So if that's you, right there where you are, I'm gonna pray in just a second. You can pray with me, not out loud. It's ultimately between you and God. But it's this trust, this confession of your sins after God has opened your eyes to see the truth that saves you. So if you wanna trust Christ and be saved right there where you are, pray with me. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son to die in my place for my sins so that I could be made right with you. Save me, forgive me, and by faith I receive your grace. And now I have peace with you. Thank you so much for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed to trust Christ right there where you are, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women walking around gonna put a gift in your hand. That's the only reason why we ask you to raise your hand. So when they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us, and again, I say this weekly, if you've trusted Christ, I pray today, has given you more hope that you still have grounds to rejoice even in suffering. You're not rejoicing in the suffering, but you're rejoicing that through them, God's doing something in you. But I also want to say something, and as I was praying, I just felt 
God speak to me. There's a phrase here. Since we have peace with God, now we should be people of peace. And what that means is this. We should be people that seek reconciliation. If God went to great lengths to reconcile us and give us peace with him, then we should go to great lengths to reconcile with others and have peace with them. And so we should be people of peace now. And so I don't know who that's for, but that's for you. But maybe on this day, on Mother's Day, you need to be reminded that as a follower of Jesus, you are a person of peace now. And so as far as it depends upon you, seek peace. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. And God, we pray right now for this precious family in our church, this precious little baby girl whose story has already touched so many people's lives. God, we pray that you would heal her, that you would do the miraculous, and not just for her sake, God, but so that through that, other people can know that you have that power. So that other people can know that you have the power to heal. So since you have the power to heal, you have the power to forgive sins. But God, we do ask you to do it. We know you can. We thank you for what you've already done. God, we were supposed to have a funeral, but, but you weren't supposed to come back from the dead either. So we know you can do it. And God, as a church, we're lifting them up, surrounding them, praying for them. And God, give us all hope in the circumstances because I know there's a lot of us that are facing those kind of similar things and help us to love each other well, have peace with each other and, and all encourage each other to continue to hope even against hope. Thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.